I've heard from uh, Jamie this morning, and they are having a good, good, profitable time in Mobile. I heard from Chris two or three times yesterday, and they are having a blessed and encouraging time there in California. So all things are well. Um, our pastor has been having <clears throat> young potential leaders or developing leaders in recently to participate with him in the services, even in the messages. And, uh, and it's good to give that time to encourage them to acknowledge and recognize what God's put within them and to, uh, to see them test their wings. So here I am. Yes, <laughs> And I feel like I'm still working on understanding God more, understanding his word more, understanding how to use it and live it and walk it out more. And uh, I want to tell you, there is still hope, still hope. I was telling somebody this morning, my grandfather and I sometimes talked about the Bible. And when I was 15 years old one day, he made a statement that stuck with me and has influenced me heavily ever since. He said, I've read the Bible through several times, but every time I've gone back to it again, it's as fresh and alive as if I had never seen it before. I thank God that somehow that stuck in my teenage brain and uh, has influenced me ever since. We're talking today about the kingdom of God. And this is not a theoretical concept. It's the day-to-day -day operation of God's love and God's power and God's intervention and God's provision in our lives and through our lives. And as you'll see, the kingdom is basically everywhere God's in charge. Uh, and you could probably imagine some places where he's not in charge. It doesn't seem to be. But I can assure you that he is the ultimate Lord of all. And he has redemption straining to work in every place, in every circumstance. I'd like to read to you Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Paul says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, true children. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to simply fall back into fear. The spirit you received is the spirit of adoption as God's children. By that spirit, we address him as Abba, Father. Now, there's going to be a little of this, so I may raise my hand once in a while and you just cut the mic, okay? <laughs> I had a little laryngitis last week, and Phyllis is really grateful. <laughs> Actually, she's grateful that I'm talking to her again. <laughs> but he says, by this spirit, we can call on God as Abba, Father. And that spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. And if we are his children, then we are his heirs. Underline that word. Heirs of God 
And in case you don't know what it means, it means we are fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In other words, how strongly do we want to embrace this identity as God's children? Because it's not always an easy walk. I've been reminded just recently from uh, discussions with some other friends how dangerous it is when we get the idea that if you're a believer in Jesus and you truly love him in your heart, you're not going to have any problems, sickness, illnesses, disappointments, adversaries, anything else. And if you are, then it's a sign that you don't really know him. You're probably not born again. You certainly are not in a good state of grace with him. That's a dangerous doctrine because Jesus himself said, John 16, 33, in this world, you will have tribulation. But cheer up. Because I've overcome the world. Cut. <coughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, what does the idea mean in our daily life on this earth, we mortals, that we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ? It means... That God's amazing. Why would Paul make such an audacious claim for human beings when he knew that they were not the best bunch around? He had encountered some of the worst, and he had been one of the worst. In fact, why would God himself include mere mortals in this degree of inheritance? If you ever wonder what that inheritance contains... Just look to Jesus. We are joint heirs with him. Everything God gave to the Son, the Son gives to us. So I'm not talking about theology today. I'm talking about the daily practice of a spiritual reality in a carnal world. See if I can say that again now. <clears throat> Philippians 2 says that God gave his son a name, which is a title or a rank or an authority, above every other in the earth. So superior that at the name of Jesus, every knee, every other authority, power, and kingdom, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth. Does that leave out any realms you can think of? Okay everywhere, and that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This means that the Father bequeathed his realm to his Son, his only begotten Son, and he chose to include his adopted born-again children in that bequest. Now that sounds simple. But it just staggers me every time I stop and think about it. Years ago, somebody asked a friend, how are you doing today? And they said, pretty good under the circumstances. And so the other one said, what are you doing under there? <laughs> we live. We have been born again into a kingdom that operates not just in eternity, but on the earth. Every day, we live there. 
So God gave us, through his son, everything that's in his dominion. He didn't just give us encouragement or kind words or mercy. He gave us anointing, authority, dominion, power, the power of the kingdom of God in the earth. And that's a power greater than every other power. I believe he has specific purposes in doing this, whether or not we understand it or comprehend it. Number one, he loves us. Now, that's a pretty big assumption on the part of any of us human beings. How many times have you ever gone to God in a prayer time and says, Lord, I'm not worthy to come here and call on you. And if you're not careful, you'll hear a little voice <laughs> from the ceiling saying, <clears throat> yes, that's right. <laughs> because he knows us. He knows us. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Have you ever felt like dust? And you probably deserve to. Have you ever felt like mud because you just poured tears on top of the dust? <laughs> Have you ever felt unworthy to call on God? Have you ever felt unworthy to even ask him for some intervention in your life? Sure, sure you have. Years ago, and I'm discussing my uh, voice this morning, which is not real strong. Years ago, uh, I've been called to a church to preach in a week of meetings there. And uh, the pastor had requested that on one particular night, we have a meeting devoted to healing. Uh, and there were physicians and nurses in the church. You know, we're not discounting any of the medicine, but we do believe that God has given us gifts beyond the power of human beings to do anything about so um, I did. I, I felt like I had a good message prepared to that, and I genuinely believed it. And, and I could speak it with conviction. Well, that morning, I got up sick. I had a fever. I had a bad throat. I felt miserable. I hurt all over. And I started talking to God. It was a very one-sided conversation. <laughs> I started complaining about being sick. I started wondering whether I ought to change my message for the night and all of that. To make a long story short, I spoke that night on healing, God's intervention, medicine, professionals, everything, but supernatural intervention too. And while I was doing it, I still had a fever and a bad throat and a rotten attitude. <laughs> that night, God taught me something that I've never forgotten. I'm, I'm, I've never been one who claimed to have any special proficiency or gifting in praying for the sick. But that night, there were numerous dramatic, real cases they testified, they follow up, I mean, they followed up in the following days of the week about the reality of their physical restoration. 
It was a marvelous meeting. There was a lot of rejoicing. And there were people who had known others who'd had their condition a long time. And suddenly it was gone. And then we all went home. And I still had a fever and a sore throat and aches and pains. The next morning, I woke up feeling perfectly well and fine. And I realized that God had been talking to me about not just living in the ordinary. There is more than what is humanly possible. There is more than what is humanly understandable. That's the kingdom of God operating in the earth. So we are heirs of his kingdom. That means the scope of his authority, his power, his will, his government, and his purpose, which is always redemption. Every time I pause and ask you to say something and you don't know what to say, just say redemption. Okay. I taught a course in the Old Testament prophets years ago, and there were some terribly harsh prophecies in the Old Testament. I had about 100 students in that class, and I had conditioned them before the semester was over that if I were walking down the sidewalk on the, on the campus and I pointed at them and I said, judgment, they were supposed to respond, redemption. <laughs> Even judgment has as its purpose redemption. You with me so far? Okay. So Isaiah 9 6 and 7 declares, God declares that his kingdom, his kingdom, will steadily increase its dominion unendingly. No end to the increase, you remember? And that his unique son will be the eternal king of that kingdom and that his own zeal, his power and authority will establish. And he didn't have any doubt in his voice when he said this. Now, some people feel that the, the idea of the kingdom refers only to the end of the age. I'm not accusing you if you're one of those, because it's probably the majority of the people. When they talk about the kingdom and the full reign of God, they think only of the end of the age. And that is certainly true. But the Old Testament, for instance, clearly shows that, that uh, his kingdom's operation was in the earth. He delivered his people from Egypt, for instance, miraculously. Cut. He delivered his people miraculously. He sustained them through the desert for 40 years. Food, clothing, health, provision, everything, miraculously. He even overthrew other nations to give them the home that he had promised to them, miraculously. How many times when you read through the Old Testament historical parts can you see this little band of people standing surrounded by other armies? By the way, it happened again in the 20th century. <clears throat> and yet God moves and they prevail and they are preserved by his power. God used judgment even on them. He sent them to Babylon. And then he used another nation, Persia, to have Cyrus restore them. 
and paid the way for all the restoration. He used the prophets to spend 400 more years preparing the way of the Lord. And the first part of John the Baptist's message was that he's preparing the way of the Lord. Behold the Lamb of God. Isaiah 61 <clears throat> describes the earthly working of the eternal kingdom. And this is why I say we're not talking just about future eternity. We're talking about life on earth, here, now, every day, in reality. Oddly enough, in God's eyes, this reality is not the greatest reality. But in Isaiah 61, he says, my king, my people, really, will be anointed to proclaim liberty for the captives, to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to release the prisoners from darkness, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor or acceptance, and also to proclaim his vengeance. Now here it doesn't say, but I get into interpretation. So listen to me. My interpretation is he's talking about acceptability and vengeance. The acceptance is toward those who will hear him. The vengeance is his victory over all the evil powers that oppose him. Now, it's just an idea. Don't write it down because it's, it's not clarified in Scripture. To comfort all those who mourn and grieve. To give them beauty instead of ashes. Do you like to feel good about yourself? God wants you to feel good about yourself. We're not just talking about physical beauty here. We're talking about beauty of heart that comes from a foundation like we've just described. Provision for broken hearts. Provision for those who've been captives. Provision for those who've been prisoners in any form. Provision who have chosen to believe or have heard that God would not accept them. I can't tell you how many times I have worked and prayed and talked with people in life who say, in effect, I believe that God is a God of mercy. I believe that he can forgive. I believe that he can make people new, but not in my case. I'm too guilty I'm too unworthy. I'm too unattractive in my heart. And that's a lie. It is a lie. And the operation of the kingdom of God in the earth is to destroy lies like that. He says, I will give you gladness where there has been mourning. That's a miracle. I'll give you a garment of praise instead of being hooded by a spirit of despair. That's a miracle. He says you'll be called oaks of righteousness. It'll become evident by your life 
that you are a planting of the Lord and it'll be a display of his splendor. Wouldn't we like to be that? Well, <clears throat> these blessings are not just for eternity. I don't think there are going to be a lot of broken hearts or a lot of captivity in the eternal heavens. This is for here and now. We need these things day by day ourselves. And we need to be able to give these things every day here and now in this world, in these circumstances, at this time. You know, when I'm not too busy, I'm going to care about other people more and I'm going to share my story with them and I'm going to help them and love them in any way I can when I'm not too busy. But we need them here and now. And then we come to the New Testament. You know, I'm, I'm, I feel obligated by my history to go from Genesis to Revelation, so here we are, okay. In Matthew 3 and then in Matthew 4, John the Baptist and Jesus both began their public ministries with precisely the same statement. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near or at hand or upon you. Exactly the same. Early in his ministry, in, in Luke chapter 4, this is recorded, Jesus was in the synagogue and called for the scroll of Isaiah and read Isaiah 61. Everything we read a few moments ago. And then he said, this day, this is fulfilled. That's not eternity, that's now. This day, this kingdom is thrown open to you in all its glory, and you don't see it, but it's still there. And everything that Isaiah prophesied began to happen in Jesus' ministry. The little daily miracles of forgiveness and encouragement and healing and restoration of sight and deliverance from demons and deliverance from condemnation and discouragement Deliverance from deception. All these things that are marks of the kingdom of God. Jesus very quickly began to call other people to follow him. And that's basically all he said. Follow me. Well, what's my job description? Follow me. <laughs> he began training them to exercise his kingdom as he himself was exercising his kingdom before them. They went with him. They were with him every day in the good times, the hard times, the restoration times, the exhausting times, the times of peril. And they saw the kingdom of God operating in Jesus every day in ordinary people for daily ordinary needs in very extraordinary ways. He didn't hold hands and pat heads. He said, be whole. He didn't say, you should have known better. He said, I can set you free from the bondage of all the hells. In Matthew 10, he called these uh, 12 to himself and he gave them authority. Do you hear that? He gave them authority 
to drive out spirits, heal sicknesses and diseases, and always to include the message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Do you remember how far away from God people feel when they're, when they're not in relationship with him? They have heard about Christians. And some Christians are kooks. Some Christians are charlatans. Some Christians are hypocrites. Well, all Christians, they say, are hypocrites. You get used to the accusations, but the point is, people can feel so far from the glorious kingdom of God's care and intervention and encouragement and health and restoration and washing and cleansing and forgiveness that they feel there's no hope for them. And that's a lie also. So Jesus came and said, be sure and always tell them. The kingdom of heaven is not far away. It's near. In fact, he told one bunch. In fact, he was talking to the Pharisees among the other listeners in his group. And he said, you look for the kingdom and you look here and you look there and you look far away. But he says the kingdom is here. It's in you. If you'll believe it. So, when he says the kingdom of heaven is near, it's not just a threat of judgment on the evil, destructive, deceiving powers. It's the message of the nearness and availability of the kingdom. Now, you've known, you've had encounters in your life for yourself and with others that that's a hard thing to believe. That God's love and grace and mercy and change and restoration and redemption are possible. When I was born again, I was 12 years old, and the preacher had preached a message on the cross of all things. <laughs> but I became convinced that night that I needed him to be born again. I needed to be born again. And he was the only one that could make it happen. Well, that's true. I did need him. And he did make a new creation out of me. I'm not saying finished. I'm saying new. Okay? But the message is the nearness and availability of all the things that are in part of the kingdom of God. Every time you say kingdom... You're dealing with the concepts of authority and dominion and government and who's in charge. And in our lives, continually, we have to ask ourselves, who's in charge of me? Normally, our first response is, I am. I'm an American, you know. I can't, you know. And then we also have to ask the question, what in the world made me do that or believe that or act that way? Who is in charge of me? I have the answer. <laughs> but Jesus hears us when we ask him to be in charge of us. He opens the door when all we can say is, Lord, help me. That's his kingdom. Now, again, we're not talking just ideas. We're talking about realities. 
when, when Jesus commissioned his disciples to go and exercise these powers of the kingdom, he was assuring them that they could do it. Peter said, Lord, I'm a fisherman and you don't even know all my vocabulary yet. I've been a bad man. James and John were sons of thunder. What does that tell you about personality? But he assured them they could do these things by reminding them of what he reminds us about. Freely you have received, freely give. Sharing, loving, teaching, giving testimony, bearing your witness to somebody. It's not a work of fiction. It's simply telling what happened to you. If you believe it, it makes it believable to them. If it was real enough to you, then it can become real to them. We're talking about our loved ones, our children, our fellow workers, the people at the store, in the office, in the school, and everywhere else. You can do it because you have received freely. So you can give. Also, in Matthew 6, Jesus taught, taught us how to pray. And concerning the kingdom, he said, pray this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What are the next two words? That's where we live, right? On earth as it is in heaven. In Luke 10, Jesus sent out 72 others with the same commission. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is really, really close to you. It's available. It's accessible. All these things can be a part of your life. And they came back rejoicing, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Well, he gave them a little example about where to put the emphasis after that, but that fact remained true. Finally, in Matthew 28, which was Jesus' final command while he was on the earth, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth, that's here and now, has been given to me. On that basis, I tell you to go and exercise everything I have shown you in my own walk and my relationship with my Father. Discipling, baptizing, teaching the commands of Jesus. And he said something else. Surely I am where? With you. To the end. I'm there. So I say again, being heir to God's kingdom is unspeakable blessing and provision. It's good news. But it's also a responsibility, a stewardship, an entrustment to us of his power and authority for his purpose and will, which again is always redemption. His will and objective are always redemption. I came not to judge, but to redeem. In Matthew 25, Jesus told of a ruler who entrusted various numbers of 
what he called talents, to his servants while he was away. We see these talents as the currency of the kingdom, a common phrase. One of the recipients only saw self-protection and risk to himself when he was entrusted with some of the currency of the kingdom. And you know how that worked out. The other two saw it as responsibility and opportunity and accountability to the one who was over them. And they had great results. Paul understood this business of the responsibility and stewardship of the riches of the kingdom of God for the purposes of God. He said in 1 Corinthians 4, let people regard us as servants of Christ, entrusted with the mysteries of God. He entrusted us with the mysteries of God, the, the, the whole gospel, and all the content of his kingdom. And he said, it is required of stewards that they be trustworthy. Now, according to the parable in, uh, in Matthew 25, being a good steward did not mean avoiding losing anything. It meant being a channel for more and more and more of what God had. And there's no limit on how much God has. Peter saw the same thing. In 1 Peter 4, he tells us, each of us should use, not shelve, not can, not freeze, not hog, but use whatever gift he has received to serve others. That's even in the verse, to serve others. Faithfully administering and exercising God's grace in all its various forms. Now, when you feel a deliverance from God, uh, that comes from God, to be free from depression or anxiety or deception or fear or a thousand other things, you are receiving what God has given. Those are various forms of grace. Covenant love is one of these gifts. We don't have it without God. And we can't give it unless we get it from Him. But when we get it from Him, we can give it without reservation, without limit, because that's the way the Father Himself did it. It was costly to Him. It'll probably be costly to you and me. But it's a miracle of God when it happens. It's part of the kingdom. So what currency of God's kingdom has he given us? We're closing here. That means you listen carefully. <laughs> what has he given us for the here and the now in this world, in our daily lives? This is what he's given us. These convictions, these truths. The kingdom is near and accessible. And so is the king. Is that scriptural for you? Secondly, there is life-changing help for the brokenhearted. 
Supernatural help. I've been in meetings at various times when there was a strong visitation of God's presence. So strong sometimes that there was no singing, no speaking, just, just quiet prayer. And in those moments, counseling cases, marriage cases, health cases that had been prayed about and worked on for a long time, in an instant, went away by the authority of the God who was present, the King who was near. There is deliverance, genuine breaking of shackles when we're bound. All of us have had bondages. It could be a condemnation or an addiction or a lie, a deception, but it can be broken. It can be broken by the power of God. There is healing, real healing, for those even for whom the medical profession has not been able to get a solution. Healing. Big and little things. When your children are small, they can be healed in the middle of the night. They can be restored and freed from the fevers and the, and the whatever's working. For the older ones of us, I'm sorry, I'm one of the young ones. Forget that. Okay. One of the provisions of the kingdom is that there is actual victory over obstacles and despair and messed up lives. There is actual victory and freedom. Now, I know that you're thinking right now of every prayer that has not yet been answered. And that's fine. That's reality. But I'll guarantee you that a lot of prayers have been answered supernaturally with no other explanation. I'm trying to convince you that we need to live daily in the kingdom of God and in the provision he's made for that kingdom. There is fresh vision for the blind and the depressed and the deceived and the disobedient. There's fresh vision that sometime I told, told somebody one time about a powerful answer to prayer, and I said it only took 16 years of heart-wrenching, hair-pulling, crying in the night, weeping before God, and then God answered it. Well, I'm not in charge of how long it takes, but God is in charge of giving wonderful answers. Here's another one, and we don't look upon this one as a miracle as much as we should. There is true, real, compassionate, covenant love for one another. Godly love. Agape. Chesed. Godly, supernatural care for one another. And, and Jesus tells us that this will be one of the greatest demonstrations that he is from the Father and he is the Redeemer 
when his people practice this kind of caring, compassionate, mercy, and love with one another. One of the marks of the kingdom is that there is genuine covenant marriage and parenthood still being practiced among a lot of people. Now, look at your marriage and overlook the points of tension and wreckage right for the moment, okay? Look until you see the Father. Because we do see among the people of God the demonstration of covenant love for one another. Because of God, not just because of one another. And that kind of covenant commitment to the welfare of our children. Not just because we don't want them to cause us trouble when they become teenagers. <laughs> Forget that, okay? But because God says, I can intervene supernaturally in the teaching and the care and the shaping that you give into your children. Those are daily miracles. And then there's also the miracle of when they grow up and they become adults and they become good adults and you say, how in heaven's name did that happen? It's because of the supernatural intervention of God in your teaching and shaping and modeling for your children. And in every case where that's not yet the case, God's still on the throne. And he can still intervene. And he specializes in difficult cases. Can you hear that? And say to yourself, Lord, I believe you. There is the idea of laying down one's life for others. We don't see it often. We usually think of at least minimally inconveniencing ourselves for others, but genuinely caring more about one of you brothers and sisters than you do for yourself at that moment. It's costly always. It's testing, but it's godly. We now know why the father is awake all night long. It's because of his children. <laughs> but here's the thing. In his kingdom, there is a God who accepts us regardless of merit and who wreaks vengeance on the ungodly forces working against us. And we do have an enemy. The Bible is very clear, and he's trying to devour us. So what I'm saying is these are not just vague ideas, noble thoughts, New Year's resolutions, or scholarly theology. These are daily realities, or they should be. They are regular daily occurrences of God's supernatural interventions among us here, now, in this earth today. They are the currency of the kingdom that God has given us for us, ourselves, and for others. 
And in John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said, As the Father sent me, just so I send you. So I call you to be a possessor and a distributor of the currency of God's kingdom in this world every day in the hardest, most least promising, most unlikely places and times. Be a possessor and be a distributor. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you that it is true. That it really is true that you are near, that you are Lord, and that you give good gifts to every one of your children. And every one of them is more than a nice thought. It's an authorization and an enablement to do godly things in our own lives and in the lives around us. Thank you for our inheritance. In Jesus' name, amen.